the gospel today, the parable of the evil vine dressers. Our Lord Jesus Christ gives this parable in response to the Pharisees questioning his authority after he is cleansing the temple. So he tells them this parable. And this parable is actually a summarization of the whole biblical history, uh, including the story of the gospel. God sends servant after servant, but the tenants uh, sort of refuse to hand over the fruit of the vineyard. And then finally, the son is sent and he's murdered. And this uh, sort of evil act demands the punishment of the tenants and the transfer of the vineyard to somebody else. A parable about a vine and a vineyard was not going to be unfamiliar to the people of Israel. The vineyard was a very familiar image that God used when he was talking to the people about his investment in his people and his expectation of return and fruit from his people. Isaiah used this uh, same uh, parable uh, to talk about the nation and how they had betrayed God. And the sim symbolism would have been really clear uh, for people, everybody that was hearing it. This is more, this is sort of like, there's a connotation here. They knew that they were talking about, or our Lord Jesus Christ was talking about, the people of Israel. So when he opens the story, when he starts the parable, he says that um, there was a man who planted a vineyard, and he rented it out to, to vine dressers, and he went to a, on a journey for a long time. And this story is based on sort of a very common practice during the time of landowners hiring out their land uh, to farmers. And the owner of the land would leave and let them to rent the property, and they would use the property. And in return, they would get a portion of the fruit that the farmers uh, made, and the farmers would get uh, another portion of the fruit. So it's kind of a win-win situation for everybody. And in verse 10, he talks about the outcome of the owner's request for his portion of the land's production. He says, at harvest time, he sent a servant to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. At the time of harvest, the people who were taking care of the vineyard were supposed to take a certain share, and the owner would get the other share. Uh, so the servant just simply went to go get the share of the, the, the fruit that he's, his, his master's owed. He went to speak words with the owner after he got sort of treated unfairly. The return was supposed to be a fair return that they agreed on, but the property's tenants, the people who were tending the garden, revolted and they refused to pay the owner's share. And they even mistreated the servant and they mistreated the messenger. This is a picture of God and the relationship between God and Israel uh, in the Old Testament, the covenant relationship between God and Israel. God was blessing the nation of Israel abundantly, giving them a land, right? We talk about many times in the Bible how the, he describes land as a land flowing with milk and honey. And he invested in them with a lot of things and ex is expecting produce, expecting fruits. All he asked of them was that they obey him, they obey his word, and return to him sort of a spiritual harvest out of their lives. Instead of being grateful for this blessing, instead of joyfully returning to the Lord what was due to him, they proceeded to rob God and reject his messengers. And because God is noble and enduring, God continued to send servant after servant to them, Right? As it says in the Gospel, they proceeded to send another ser servant and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. Our Lord Jesus Christ likened the prophets of the Old Testament to this series of servants sent to collect fruit from the vineyard. They were rejected, they were beaten, they were treated shamefully. Never did any of these servants 
never were any of the servants able to get the payment that was due to God out of his fruits. And this, this owner who was amazingly long-suffering continues to send more and more servants. He, he said he proceeded to send a third, and this one they also wounded and cast out. So the first messenger was beaten, the second one was not only beaten, but was also treated shamefully. The third messenger was wounded permanently. And so how is the, the owner of the vineyard going to respond to these tenants? You can see uh, in verse 13, he says, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. So we can see God's willingness to make himself actually completely vulnerable by sending his son in order to win back his people to himself. The problem is though, sin has a way of making people blind, making them proud, making them disrespectful, even to the most loving, to the most humble, to the most holy person or most holy action. Verse 14 shows the plot to murder the, the, owner's, the landowner's son and to take the vineyard by force. He says, but when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. In this statement, in these two verses, our Lord Jesus Christ is saying, I know your plan. I know your intention. I know what's going on in your hearts. Right? He's speaking this parable to whom? To the Pharisees and to the scribes. The people who are later going to accuse him and try him and have him put on the cross. It's important for us to remember that Christ laid down his life willingly. It's not as if they ambushed him and surprised him, and then he was killed. He knows, he sees their plans, and offers himself up. So he says this to them sort of as an indictment of their future actions. Or maybe you can even say, telling them sort of a call to repentance. Hey, I know what you're planning to do. If any of you want to maybe change your mind and repent and not do this unjust thing. Actually, this is the same thing that our Lord Jesus Christ does with us. None of us falls into sin all of a sudden, but rather we, we walk into sin sort of one step at a time. And God sends us, like He sent servants in this parable and the prophets in the Old Testament. God is faithful and He sends us messages and warnings as we begin to fall into sin. Unfortunately, all too often, we continue on the downward path towards destruction. And actually sometimes, unfortunately, the blindness and the depth of our sin even will cause us to make the Son of God dead to us and to experience no remorse for putting God out of our life. Just like they took the Son and killed Him outside of the garden. So I put Him out of my life so I can do whatever I want with Him. Verse 15 shows us the result of the hardness of, the, the, of man's heart against the rule of God. It says, so they cast Him out of the vineyard and killed Him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? The rejection of the message and the messengers was harsher and harsher each time. Ultimately, instead of repenting, they do the very opposite. The tenants, the vine dressers who were rebellious, killed the beloved son, obviously as a foreshadowing of the fate of our Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And the son is killed outside of the, the vineyard, just like our Lord Jesus Christ is killed outside of Jerusalem itself. And so God asks in this verse that I just read, sort of a rhetorical question. What is the owner going to do? The owner of the vineyard, what's he going to do now? What should he do? The tenants had no respect for his son, no respect or remorse for the servants that he sent. 
what is he going to do? And he answers in verse 16. He says, he will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Look at the response of the people. They said, when they heard it, they said, certainly not. So in judgment for killing his son, God is going to destroy the tenant farmers. He's going to destroy the stewards. And he's going to find more worthy tenants, people who are going to give him the things he wants, give him the fruit. People who are going to actually care for the vineyard. Like I was saying before, the vineyard is a very familiar in image of God's investment and expectation of return from His people, from the Old Testament covenant people. So the people understood the, impl the implication of what He's saying. And so they were shocked at the word of the final punishment. The tenants is clear to everybody who is listening to our Lord Jesus Christ. The tenants are the Jewish leaders. And they're sensing that they're going to fail, or God, our Lord Jesus Christ is saying they're going to fail in giving fruit, so God is going to give the vineyard over to another nation. God has given the vineyard over actually to the Gentiles. So our Lord Jesus Christ's words are actually not just a parable, but words of prophecy. But it was another opportunity, an invitation for the Jewish leaders to repent. He was pleading with them, begging with them to turn to God in truth, and save not only their own lives, but the lives of their entire nation. And what is their answer? Certainly not, or God forbid. So the strong response of no, never, certainly not, that's not going to happen, shows they understood, first of all, the implication of what our Lord Jesus Christ was saying, that the Jewish system was going to be set aside because the religious leaders were rejecting him, and that people were following their leadership instead of following God. This parable actually is sort of the end of all of our Lord Jesus Christ's messages concerning the fact that the kingdom of God is going to be open not only for the Jewish people, but also for the entire world. Later on, as he's continuing in verse 18, he says, or verse 17, he says, What then is this that is written, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This is a reference or a quotation from Psalm 118 and it's giving us an interpretation of God's purpose for this rock or stone of offense. Even though our Lord Jesus Christ may be rejected by man, He is the place and key to repentance and judgment. This is summing up the lesson that our Lord Jesus Christ is trying to teach them. St. Luke is trying to point out the seriousness of the situation by showing that our Lord Jesus Christ looked directly at them and quoted scripture. The stone which the builders direct, uh, rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This seemingly insignificant thing, a stone that would be thrown away by stonemasons that were rejected was really the most important thing. Our Lord Jesus Christ's point was that he is the most important element in the Jewish nation, even though he's being rejected. But ultimately, he would be supreme and most important. Because our Lord Jesus Christ is the stone that doesn't fit the preconceived notion of the Messiah to the people. His resurrection, though, from the dead proves that he's the one in whom everything is built. The leaders of the political world and the religious world at the time may have rejected our Lord Jesus Christ. But God is making him the centerpiece of his plan for salvation. 
So even though people, even if all the people reject him and refuse to build their life on him, there is no replacement for God's chosen cornerstone. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself is the means for repentance and judgment. When he says, whoever falls on that stone will be broken, God is saying, when I fall on God, when I fall on Christ in repentance, I, I can become broken. But this brokenness of life that comes from judging myself and casting my life in His mercy is the way for salvation and is the way for restoration. The person who falls on our Lord Jesus Christ as the cornerstone is going to be broken. Because the only way I can admit my sin and be saved is first to be broken, to, to say something is wrong. To ask God for His help to repent. Rejecting God's Son by failing to cast myself upon this stone has consequences. Right? He says, but on whom whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So the question then we should ask ourselves is, are we going to allow our lives to be broken by God's precious stone in repentance? Am I going to cast my life on Him now while I have this opportunity? so that I can achieve salvation? Or will I wait too long and be broken or crushed by him when he returns to judge the world? The story of the, the wicked vine dressers is an analogy like I'm saying about Israel. God gave them the land, God gave them everything, and he's expecting them to bear fruit. God now wants spiritual fruit, and they're not able to produce it. Our Lord Jesus Christ is telling them that God requires fruits of righteousness, fruits of love, joy, peace. He reminds them that they killed the prophets and the servants that God sent to collect these fruits and they're even going to kill his son and his heir. And they all they denied all of this being true, right? They said certainly not. The eyes of the people were blinded. They were rejecting the authority of Christ. Later on, in a few days after he says these parables, they're going to reject him to the point of the cross. It's a reminder for us that I need to cast my life in repentance in front of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ is calling us to do this even today. It's never too early to begin to build a life based on the foundation, on the cornerstone of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we finish this morning, I want to make sure that we realize that this should be a warning for us as well. We, the people of the church, are the stewards of God's vineyard. Most especially those of us who are leaders, servants, chanters, readers, everyone who is in a position of spiritual leadership is a steward of God's vineyard. If you notice the connection between the reading of this gospel and the epistle uh, from St. Paul, he says in the last verse from 1 Corinthians, he says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So, first of all, this parable reminds us, first of all, that all of us as leaders, any of us who has any leadership position, are simply stewards. This church, the souls that are being planted in the church, and that grow within the church do not belong to me. They don't belong to any servant. They belong to God. He is going to return. He is going to require those souls from the hands of the stewards that there would be good fruit. 
if we are unfaithful stewards, if we act as owners instead of stewards, as the stewards in the parable did, if we don't treat the plants within it with love and care, there will be punishment for this. And secondly, it's a reassurance. This parable is a reassurance for us. Even though the stewards themselves were evil, the stewards of the vineyard were evil, because it is God's vineyard, it will be kept, it will be protected by Him, despite the unworthiness of the steward. Despite the unworthiness of... What did God do when He found His stewards were unworthy? He said, I'm going to remove them, I'm going to punish them, and I'm going to bring people who will do this job correctly. God is always doing this with His people, doing this even with His church. If we as leaders are not doing what is correct, God will judge us, and He will give us leaders that will be able to shepherd His people. God is not going to leave His people orphans, not going to abandon them. He says the gates of Hades will never prevail against it. So it's a reassurance for us that the church is always being God's vineyard, protected by God Himself. So now as we have a better understanding of this parable, we can give thanks to God who is long-suffering with His people, who is willing to give even His own Son for its sake, whose never-ending love does not waver. May we, be remember, may we remember, be assured of His love and remain faithful stewards until our last breath and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. We exalt.